Hello, and welcome to the 50th episode of The Ready Room, the Trex and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Jen. I play Lieutenant Ryla Drett and Commander Savril. And this is Kenny. I play Captain Nathan Quinn and Lieutenant Nicholas Took. And this is Rick. I play Counselor Margon and Jadan Marley. All right, so it's our 50th Ready Room podcast. Can you believe we made 50? No. Awesome. And there was much rejoicing. Yay! Yay! Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Sorry, there's a delay. <laughs> I remember I remember when the Ready Room first premiered, and we were all so excited because we were having so much fun on the RPG game. And I remember when you, you Kenny, and Jen had the idea. I don't remember which one of you came up with it, but... The other but wasn't it you, Jen? Mm-hmm. Came up with the Ready Room idea? Yeah. Yeah. Because people were having trouble keeping track, and so the whole Ready Room idea was to recruit and to keep people up to date on the story. Yeah. yeah. Which which I think it's done its job. It's fantastic. Well, it's, it's also it's evolved over the 50 podcasts. I mean, when we first did it, it was more or less just Jen and I giving information about how to write an RPG. We did writer interviews. You know, we would, we would go over the story so far and, and talk about what's happening, our favorite parts, and what's going to, you know, happen next. And it's kind, of, it's kind of evolved into more of a, like an RPG storytelling, like an ongoing story. Um, what am I trying to say? Like a dramatization. Mm-hmm. But all the special effects and, you know, because we have readers who read every single post. Before, we would pick just our favorites and read those. That's right. But now it's kind of evolved into just this ongoing thing where people can actually, if they don't have the time to go to the forums and read, they can listen to the Ready Room and get every bit of the story through the Ready Room. Mm-hmm. You know, which, which I think, I is, think is, yeah, it's been a great convenience for folks that are commuting or, yeah. you know. Who just don't have time. Of- don't have the time to sit there and read, you know, the, the, the 30, 40 posts that happen within a week or two. Right. So I think it's a great thing. And I, I like where it's evolved too. Yeah, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, there are other RPG podcasts out there, which is how I got the idea. But they always uh, talk about doing this kind of a show where the you know they're read dramatically, mm-hmm. and they never do it. And I think ours, you know, this microcast is unique in that we have so many people helping us to put this thing together. They're not just writers, but like musicians, like Rick and. Um, uh, people who are just following the story who read for us and it's just I think a unique situation and kind of like a little melting pot of creatives oh definitely I love it and and we couldn't do it without everybody that's right Mm -hmm. in fact a lot of work so I was thinking the last episode of the ready room I was um, getting ready to go to bed and I usually watch TNG or something like that when I'm falling asleep just because that's kind of my tradition and uh, I shut it off though and I listened to the ready room podcast and you know, it actually kept me up another hour because I I just really loved the way that people were reading and interpreting these posts. It was it was awesome. It was like you, your imagination just really is enhanced by what people are reading and how they're reading it, along with the music and the different voices. That's the other unique thing. Mm-hmm. You don't hear the same voice on every mm-hmm. post, and that it just it keeps your attention and it just it sucks me into the story. And it just I I was I sat there and I I just smiled and I. I know this sounds weird, but I, I was just proud to be part of something like this because it, it was just so imaginative, and and it, I don't know, it was just really cool to be a part of it. I thought it didn't sound like it was us doing it, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's like somebody else was producing this, and we were listening and enjoying it. But it's really it's us together doing it, which is yeah. really cool. 
It is really cool. It's a great experience. Um, for this 50th podcast, we have decided, since there are so many posts, you guys are doing a fantastic job, by the way, on, on posting. Um, we are going to limit our discussion at the end of the story so far, and we're going to play more posts for you. Yay! So, yeah, so it's great. So let's get started, and uh, here is our first uh, RPG post. Accessing library computer data. Initiating the story so far. Enter when ready. For our first post, we have a new writer, Max Fazu, and it will be read by Moyer777. Jack caught himself checking sensors again. He knew the USS Nineska's alarm would bring any anomaly to his attention, but there was nothing worse than a surprise in open space. Satisfied with the computer scans, he slowly brought his eyes back to his data pad. The Arabella was a great post, but she just lost 57 of her crew on her last outing. He was familiar with covering for someone's retirement or transfer. On this post, however, he had the anguish of replacing a dead crew member, a casualty that could have been the result of Borg assimilation. Jack shuddered, thinking about that fate. He sat forward in his seat. He would do his duty despite the awkward post. Besides three more hours on this runabout, and he'd be at Starbase 416 and the Arabella. Maddock, is there anything out there? Lieutenant Commander Smith was making his way forward to the con. No, sir. It's all clear, and now it's all yours. Jack happily shifted the console's controls over to the lieutenant, and therefore ending his shift. Smith took the helm and double-checked the sensors. Three weeks alone with Smith was a trial all its own. For a man whose ambition was to spend the rest of his career as a desk jockey, he was characteristically staunch. Smith was delivering this brand new runabout to Starbase 416, then staying for his new assignment as this sector's native commodities administrator. Despite his company, Jack was lucky to catch a ride with the lieutenant commander. Unlike taking a personal shuttle, he could take comfort in the knowledge that someone would be watching the con during his downtime. He leaned far back into his chair, far from the responsibility and controls of his console. He sifted through and studied the personnel files of the Arabella senior staff. He also found the location of his quarters and every key system aboard. He reviewed detailed schematics, knowing he could have to repair any terminal. Jack searched the files until he could no longer keep himself conscious. Maddock. Smith's voice broke through his REM cycle. Jack instinctively sprung forward, checking the Nineska's instruments. Isn't she a beauty? The lieutenant stared in awe at the viewport. Jack immediately raised his eyes to see the Arabella caged in repair arms docked with the station. Yes, sir, those intrepids are a special breed, Jack said in reverence. Smith stared at him impatiently. The station, Maddock? Oh, uh, yes, the station, sir. She's very nice, too. Jack couldn't agree completely, but was careful not to patronize the commander. The Nineska made her approach, and a half a roll to orientate herself with the starbase. She quickly found her way past the Arabella, around the far side of 416, and to an unoccupied bay. The landing on the docking pad was textbook. Expedient, but safe. Once it was stationary, it descended into the starbase and eventual disappearance behind the bay's large sliding doors. The next post was written by Brian C.D. and was read by Rico. 
Karath removed his dress jacket and heaved a sigh of relief. The promotion party had been very pleasurable, and he enjoyed the opportunity to socialize and reacquaint himself with many of the senior staff following all the chaos of the Borg incursion. It would be good to get back into a more normal routine, a routine which would continue without some. Casualties in engineering had been very high during the attack as the Borg sought to control the ship from there. With the help of Catan and DeCallan, they had managed to save the rest, but the gaps in his team needed to be filled. Computer, display Starfleet personnel record for Ensign Jacob Maddock. The data appeared on his view screen of the terminal, and Karath sat back and read through the file while sipping an English ale DeCallan had introduced him to. The security chief enjoyed his libations as much as Karath. Ensign Maddock was a bit old for an ensign, having only entered Starfleet Academy after serving in the enlisted ranks during the early years of his career. No doubt a man who knew how to put an honest day's work in. He then served with some distinction on the Sutherland. Karath rose and prepared for bed. Tomorrow he would have the chance to meet the new ensign and begin the task of rebuilding his team. The following post was written by Casey and read by Casey. Sarah's fingers moved up and down the piano keys as she played to the last bars of an upbeat instrumental. Her investigation of Raladret had been cut short when she realized she needed to be on stage with the band who were missing the piano accompaniment. She had rushed to the stage and joined in as soon as she was in reach of the keys. Although her bandmates were not exactly pleased with her at the beginning of the set, tensions melted away as the music took over them. And Sarah was more than happy to rejoin a world she was familiar with. It was a world that was full of light and quarter notes, where anyone who listened was more than welcome to enter. The song ended, and it was immediately followed by applause. Many clapped with a flourish. Others clapped only loud enough for themselves to hear. Thank you so much, Sarah said. Then, without any verbal introduction, she began to play the beginning chords of the last song before the band would take their break. It wasn't until she began singing the first verse when she realized the irony of the song she was playing. She smiled and then let herself get carried away by her rendition of Fly Me to the Moon. Our next post was written by Feathers and will be read by Jen. Ops to Ensign Galdar. Galdar jumped as the comm signal rang out through Starbase 416. His hands reflexively moved to his ears. How long would it take for him to get used to the human volume that everything was set to? It wasn't like this was his first day in Starfleet, but it took him by surprise every time. The Vulcans seemed to cope despite their excellent hearing, yet here he was, flinching every time a call was made. Mentally shrugging off the annoyance and bringing himself back to the present, he tapped his comm badge. Galdar! Ensign, please report to Shuttle Bay 4. The new Danby-class runabout has arrived and I need you to complete the formalities. Understood, Commander. Out. Tapping the badge again, Galdar quickened his pace, moving with more purpose now that he had something specific to do. Starbase service was certainly more interesting than many of the orbital facilities he might have been posted to, but having been here for a while, he was surprised at how little really went on. What was the point in posting pilots to a station where so little piloting was actually required? Perhaps he'd been wrong in accepting the Starbase assignment? It wasn't as if most of the Starbase staff wasn't fully capable of flying the available craft in any case. It was almost a basic requirement for Starfleet service, after all. Being posted at a base such as this meant everyone jumped at any piloting opportunities they could get, leaving him somewhat redundant. 
passing a port. His thoughts were interrupted by the sight of a docked, intrepid-class ship, and he paused to study it. After three weeks or so, the signs of exterior damage were slowly disappearing as the work crews progressed across the hull. It was still clear that she'd seen some recent action, however. Moving off again, Galdar reminded himself to try to talk to a few of the crew to find out what really had happened. He didn't wholly trust the stories going around the station, and there was little profit in rumor. While he may not have been in business, he was still a Ferengi, and the seventh rule of acquisition was important. Always keep your ears open. Not that he had any trouble with that. A turbo lift arrived and he reached the doors. Good timing for once. Shuttle Bay 4, he said, nodding up at the two crewmen already inside as he entered. He stood to one side as the small pod hummed on its way and went back to consider his career. Promotion off station wasn't a realistic expectation at this point, and reassignment aboard the Starbase would simply lead to more of the same. He had to find another alternative. He needed an opportunity. On Ferenginar, he'd been pushed aside in the rush for Latinum because he didn't have the lobes. Here, it was simply because the skills he did have weren't really required on the base. Should an ion storm ever engulf the place, they'd be glad of his flying skills. But until then... This was partly why he'd started messing about with the various hollow entertainments the base offered. He needed something to keep him occupied. He chuckled to himself again at the thought of a four-foot-tall angry Klingon. Occupied, yes. Battling hollow midgets? No. He composed himself as the doors hissed open, noticing the slightly odd glance from the female lieutenant beside him as he did so. He ignored her as he straightened his uniform and stepped out of the lift towards the internal bay doors. The lieutenant watched the small, slightly stooped figure of the Ferengi until the lift doors closed and the car started to move again. She'd seen him about in the four months that he'd been on 416, but had never been sure what to make of him. A Ferengi in Starfleet was rare, to be sure, but a Ferengi pilot? Where was the profit in that? She shrugged. By all accounts, he was a good officer and a good pilot, and she knew better to let racial issues cloud her judgment of a colleague. But still, those teeth took some getting used to. This time, it was she that smiled as she returned her attention to the pad that she'd been pretending to study for the entire ride. The next post was written by Star Trek Fanatic 5 and read by Star Trek Fanatic 5. Quinn and Took made their way around the party, partaking in small talk here and there. Margon glanced in Quinn's direction, but Nathan quickly turned the other way. Nick noticed this and questioned Quinn's actions. It's a long story that I will have to tell you at a later date, Quinn replied with a smile. They continued to socialize for the next few hours before heading back to Quinn's quarters. As soon as Nick entered, he turned to Nathan. So, Nick said, why did you turn away from Counselor Margon? Quinn sighed. He had told Nick everything that had happened to him while in the Mirror Universe, but didn't go into great detail as to what Dr. Margon had done to him. Nathan sat down, and Nick sat down beside him. Quinn then went into great detail as to what Margon had done to him, how he tortured him, and how much pleasure Dr. Margon got watching Quinn in excruciating pain. By the time Nathan had finished telling him what had happened, Took wiped a tear from his eye. I had no idea, he said softly, but you do realize that this isn't the same Margon, Took continued. Quinn stood abruptly and paced back and forth. Of course I know that, but that doesn't make it any easier. These past few weeks, I have avoided seeing him. This was the first time I was actually in the room with him. Hearing his voice brought back that... 
uncontrollable fear I had while laying on that cold slab of a table. Nathan felt a chill run through his body. Nick stood and walked over to Nathan. He looked into his gray-green eyes and ran his fingers through Nathan's hair. You're safe now, Nick whispered. Now let's get some rest. With those words, Nick led Nathan to the bedroom. The next morning, Nathan got up and entered the bathroom. He activated the sonic shower and stood there as the waves of sonic energy hit his naked flesh. Moments later, Nick entered. Mind if I join you? He said with a smirk. Nathan laughed and he stepped aside, making room for Nick. After the shower, they had a quick breakfast, dressed, and exited Quinn's quarters. Nathan looked up and down the hallway before bending down and giving Nick a kiss on the cheek. See you at 1300 for lunch, Nick said as he turned and headed in the opposite direction. Quinn smiled and headed to the turbo lift. The next post was written by Just X and Moyer777 and was read by Moyer777. So, Doc, how do we do this? Eric asked as he sat facing the blue-skinned ship's counselor. While part of him knew that Margon might be able to help him, the other part of him still clung on to holding on to the last fragments of family secrets that should have stayed buried. The counselor handed Eric a cup of tea. Margon looked at him compassionately, smiled, and then became serious. What are you scared of, Eric? In the time that I've known you, your confidence and courage have masked the other part that all of us have. I've never seen you so insecure. He stared down into his cup. Eric didn't like this at all, but found himself openly sharing something he wasn't accustomed to. Insecure? That's a good word for it, Eric mused. I'm glad to know that Saren is alive. I didn't think it was possible. But I'm more than a little concerned about what will happen when Savril and Aria return. Savril remembers our past together, things that should have stayed buried. She knows how we felt about each other. I've loved her through a thousand lifetimes, and never once has it wavered. My greatest fear is that she will only remember loving me, and that that is far worse than her never knowing. Margon sat quietly for a moment and considered his next statement. Eric, many of us deal with these kind of emotions on a daily basis. We just don't have the means to suppress them like you do. I myself underwent a procedure to block my memories from a personal tragedy years ago. I can tell you this much. It made me feel empty. Until I was forced to deal with it and bring it out into the open, I couldn't shake it. It was hurting the people around me. I wasn't myself. The counselor caught Eric's eye and continued. What you're doing right now is good. I truly believe that we will find a way to work through this. It probably won't do any good to assume what will happen. You're going to need to quit working up scenarios in your head. Let's not dwell on what could be. I know you're a planner, but for sanity's sake, let's just take it one day at a time. Eric couldn't believe that he had just spilled out one of his deeper secrets, but was impressed by the security he felt in sharing it with Margon. He remembered reading the personnel file at the counselor's incident on his home world and thought of how it must have felt when he came to face to face with a true reality. I'm all for taking things one day at a time. I'd like to work through all of this before they get home. And now we have a post written by Hawkeye Meds, also read by Hawkeye Meds. Dakarlan pressed a small control panel on the outside of the captain's ready room. Come. The door stood open and Joseph walked in. I'm sorry to bother you so early, sir, but I have a request. 
Captain Quinn smiled at the Callan and gestured him a seat at the chair in the front of his desk. Congratulations on your promotion, Joseph. You deserve it. The Callan smiled back at Quinn. Sir, it is you I thank. Your faith in recruiting me after what happened to me is something I will never forget. Quinn gave a slow smile. So, what can I do for you, Lieutenant Commander? Joseph handed the captain his pad. Sir, I need to go over to the station. They have what I need to complete my assignment and I would rather get this done and back to you as soon as possible. Quinn concentrated on the pad and his face grew serious. He pressed a button on the pad and flicked it up. Handing it back to the Chief of Security, he sat back in his chair. Permission granted. I am sorry you have to do this while everyone is on shore leave. Report back to me as soon as you are satisfied with your result. Joseph nodded and stood up, sir. He turned and left the room. As the door slid back, the Callan tapped his com badge. The Callan to Dan. I am leaving the ship for a while, and I'm leaving you in charge of security. Dunn responded with a simple, yes sir, and the Callan headed for the transporter room. The next post was written by D'Angelis and read by D'Angelis. Lester managed to stay at the ceremony longer than he expected, probably because he remained at the bar most of the time. As well as an engineering prowess, his fondness for ale was a talent he had inherited from his father. Sipping his way through the event had led him to be successfully discreet. Unfortunately, the practice required you to have a glass at all times. Luckily for him, it was synthahol ale, or fatigue would have been the least of his worries. After a more than polite length of time, he headed for the exit. Pressing the button on the wall, Lester engaged the manual lock to his quarters. Perhaps it was his imagination, or fatigue, but the doors seemed to take longer than usual to fully close. Unfastening the coat of his dress uniform, the ensign sighed in mild relief. Lester's quarters were very organised and keeping to regiment, he took it upon himself to pack away his dress uniform immediately. Computer, how long do I have until my next duty shift? Lester asked, tilting his head slightly, as many crew do when speaking to the disembodied computer voice. 6.4 hours, the computer responded almost immediately, adding, You are required to report to sickbay at the start of your duty shift. Really? By whom? Lester didn't really need an answer. He had a good idea already. And please refrain from providing me with superfluous information, computer he said with a hint of annoyance. Dr. Peterson, said the computer, who also directed that you be given this information when you next accessed your computer. Lester shook his head. He knew he had been avoiding the routine physical that all transfers must complete when starting a new assignment. The appointment was flexible and was not to interfere with important duties, a fact that Lester had made the most of to avoid the examination. With repairs going well, he doubted he could get out of it this time. Acknowledged. Please inform sickbay, he exhaled. Logged, chirped the computer. The next post was written by Iceman and read by Rico. Casey woke from a much-needed rest. It would take him a while to recover from the many weeks of lack of sleep that resulted from fixing the damage done to the crew by the Borg, but he still felt better than he had in weeks. Myella was busy humming in their small kitchenette, preparing warm rocachinos for him and her as she replicated them both some breakfast before their shifts in sickbay. Casey stepped out of the sonic shower, dressed, and greeted his wife with a big kiss. She smiled back at him and she placed their breakfast on the table. 
Dr. Peterson ate quickly, then said goodbye to his wife. He had a stack of unfinished paperwork to complete and a few crew physicals that needed to be completed before he could begin his much-needed shore leave. The doctor picked up his data pad and headed out of his quarters to Deck 5 to begin his shift in sickbay. He smiled briefly as he thought of being one step closer to his vacation. Now we have a post written by Just X, read by Hawkeye Meds. The aroma of a freshly cooked breakfast hung in the air of the jam's quarters as Eric cleared away the dishes. Pan still rested on the stove that was installed just for these occasions. For the first time in weeks, the room was quiet. Rory had taken the girls to a day out on the holodeck and left him to get the quarters in order. Eric had barely gotten the dishes away when the display on his desk chimed. Incoming encrypted communication, the soft voice of the computer said. Eric took a seat at his desk and looked at the monitor. Open communications channel. After he spoke the words, the standard Federation background faded to reveal the face of a beautiful woman with almost fire-red hair that draped her face in elegant spirals. Hello, Una, Eric said and offered an honest smile. How are you doing, my wife? Una smiled back at him. I am well, my husband, but I have missed your company. Eric nodded slowly. It didn't take much to see that he was a poor husband. He had been married out of obligation, but he had promised himself that he would be a good husband. It was a promise that had been strained to the breaking point by distance and other complications. You know, I'm sorry for that. I have so much to do here. But I'm not intentionally trying to neglect you. I shuddered to think how much worse this could be if your actions were intentional, Eric. Una said with soft words that struck Alec like daggers. How can I make things right between us? Come home. <sighs> you know that I can't just leave my responsibilities here. Eric sighed and ran his hand through his hair. What of your responsibilities here? What about your responsibilities to your wife? Una asked calmly. I knew that your past might cause us a few issues, but this isn't fair, Eric. I know, Una. Do you? I've waited patiently for over a decade for you to be ready to start a family with me. But what happened to those plans? You restore Eria, you adopt Elizabeth and treat Rory like another of your children. Can you explain how someone that wasn't ready for children is suddenly raising them with her, of all people. Una said as she tried to hide the anger in her voice. It's not like that. We're not involved. She's not even here, Eric said in an attempt to calm his wife. Una's brow raised at that. Where is she? Savril and Aria left the universe with... Eric bit his lip and took a deep breath. Saren, my other daughter, the one that was presumed lost... Una schooled the emotion on her face. Why? Is this a permanent departure? Eric shook his head. I don't know how long they will be gone. Naval was abducted and they are going to save him. I'm I'm looking after McRyan until they return. Una sighed. Eric, I am trying not to be upset, but we both know how you feel. How am I expected to compete against those feelings when I am here and she's working so close to you? There isn't a competition, Una. You are my wife, and I would never dishonour our vows, Eric said. I love you, but I have not hidden my past from you. Perhaps you should have. It might have spared some of this pain. I love you, Eric, but it truly hurts that I only have part of your heart. It hurts more than the one that holds most of that heart works side by side with you. Eric nodded. Is there any way to make this right? There are many ways. 
but they had become far fewer when you are only willing to do so much to make it right. Luna smiled sadly and toyed with her hair. I think that this is more than a time for us to start our family, Eric. I want to see you. I want to spend some time with my husband. Eric nodded slowly. As hard as you might find it to believe me, I've missed you, Una. I look forward to seeing you again, and I do love you. Una smiled slightly. I know you do, Eric, and it brings light to my life, but in your heart I'm a candle flame, and she is a nova. I want what she doesn't even know that she's missing. Eric sighed as the computer chimed again. It's time for me to go. Una nodded. My communication will not leave any records, but we should end it now. I am closer than you think, dear husband. Perhaps I might make my presence known, so that you can have help with the children. Even though I was not consulted on the adoption, Elizabeth is our child, and it would be nice for her to know of her mother. You should treat her as soon as she can handle the adaptions. I love you, Eric. Before he could say another word, the communication ended, and Eric sat there looking at the blank monitor. Complicated things were about to get far more complicated. The next post was written by Max Fazu and Brian CD and read by Moyer777. Jack stepped from the station's umbilical into the slightly lighter anti-grav plating of the Arabella. To another crew member, the change might not be noticeable. He, however, had an aptitude for finding slight misalignments in just about any system. He could detect a hertz change in the sonic shower when key systems would power up. Of course, carrying a 40-pound case in either hand made detecting the chance much easier. (laughs) Jack wasted no time with his luggage and headed straight for his quarters. He nudged his door release with his elbow and slid in. He then released his bags to the floor. Computer, recognize Jacob Maddock. Jack commanded the computer. Please confirm, the computer chimed in. Maddock Alpha Epsilon 539 Omega, Jack continued. Computer, locate Lieutenant Commander Karath. The computer recalled, Lieutenant Commander Karath is currently in main engineering. Jack left the bags where they fell. He turned 180 degrees and sprung back through the doorway. He knew exactly where he was headed. Being an engineer, Jack had studied the Arabella's schematics for weeks, and she was becoming as familiar as the back of his hand. This was the part Jack hated, the first impression. While starting his first post, he reported to the Andorian sergeant named Toreth. He thought back to more than a few scoldings he received when that blue face had turned a furious shade of indigo. He later learned that within the first moments of their meeting, Toreth had mislabeled him as lethargic. Even with a superb work record, he wasn't able to crawl out from underneath the sergeant's misconception. Jack read Karath's personnel files and expected a fair deal from him. On the other hand, he was still a Klingon and shouldn't be underestimated. Jack shot through the engineering archway to find Karath's back as he worked at the main terminal. Lieutenant Commander Karath, Jack stood like a board stuck in sand, less one arm perpendicularly displayed his electronic transfer orders. Ensign Jacob E. Maddock, reporting for duty, sir. Karath turned around. The ensign was very similar in height and build to the Klingon. However, his current posture made him look like he was being stretched by an event horizon. 
Karoth's face remained completely impassive as he took the offered pad from the ensign and glanced down at it. He had already read the Maddox personnel data the night before. He just used the opportunity to make the man sweat a bit. Welcome aboard, Ensign Maddox, Karath said. I have reviewed your personnel files and find you satisfactory for your duties. We have been undermanned for some time, and I need to know you are up for the task. Tell me, Ensign, why do you seek a position on the Arabella in my engine room? He challenged, hoping the man would rise to the occasion. Sir, you have a heck of a ship here. She's out here, working, fighting, helping people, doing the right thing. Jack rose his hands with his palms face up. And if I can use these to help her keep her running, keep her doing her job, then I would be honored. Jack waited a moment, then realizing his error, he snapped back to attention. Karoth's eyes narrowed at the mention of the word honor, and then a smile crept across his face. He barked a loud, short laugh. <laughs> we shall see, Ensign. I understand you have experience with positronic network systems. Well, my ship has no AI, but her gel-packed Neuronet is a close second. I am assigning you to lead the repair efforts on that front. It is the lifeblood of the ship. Station, he commanded. Aye, sir, thank you, sir, Jack released. Then he eagerly moved down to the third starboard terminal and logged in. Jack was elated at the chance of working so closely with a system that mimicked his hobby. He stopped at his terminal and took a brief look around. Yes, this would do. This would do just fine. He silently complimented himself. The next post was written by Shepard and read by Shepard. Stepping out of the afterburner, David and Fizzle walked side by side back towards their quarters. Before rounding the corner, David took one look back at Rose, leaning on her roommate's shoulder. Lorna will take care of her, he thought, as he passed out of sight. Rose watched him quietly, deep in thought. Someone's got a crush, Lorna sang. What? Rose got defensive. No, I, I don't. He likes you, Lorna interrupted. Oh, you, you're not talking about... Rose blushed. No, he's just being nice. Why do you do that? You can never accept what's right in front of you. Because it's not true. It's wishful thinking. My parents told me never to dream and hope for things that might never be. It's a waste of time better spent thinking of what is and working for what will be. You're telling me you never had that girly little dream of finding the perfect guy? Well, yeah, when I was ten, but I, I grew up. Then I got... She looked at her Borg hand, grasped tightly round her metal cane. What is now is that I'm not quite human anymore. Still brilliant, Lorna replied. And shallow. I'm not shallow. Close-minded? Lorna, I'm in a moment of need. Sorry, I'm not going to speak against your parents. I know how much you respect them, but personally, I don't think they ever planned you to be oblivious to the world around you. I'm not oblivious. I'm being realistic. Maybe I would have accepted the possibility before... She paused. I've changed. I know I can never have the happy life I was supposed to. The Borg took that from me. I've accepted that. Lorna didn't know how to reply. Though she heard the words, she knew Rose was far from accepting what she spoke. And now we have a post written by Feathers and read by Shepard. 
Hands moved deftly over the controls. Galdar dropped the USS Nenska out of warp and came to a full stop. Stopping on a dime was the expression one of his human friends had used to describe this maneuver, and it had stuck in his mind. Financial references tended to carry extra meaning with Ferengi. He spun the runabout hard on its lateral axis, stopping once he was pointed back towards the starbase. He grinned as the inertial dampeners groaned slightly. No one else would have detected the change, but then no one else could fly by ear quite as he could. He spent the last half hour deliberately pushing the little craft to its acceptable limits of its performance envelope, but despite all his efforts, it held together fine. Runabouts could take a lot more punishment if required, but without being under enemy fire, he'd end up on a charge if he pushed it any harder. He'd done enough to prove his point in any case, and he hadn't expected to have a problem. If the stressed plasma injector that the maintenance team thought they detected had been real, he'd have known it by now. The ship was new, and Lieutenant Commander Smith hadn't exactly stressed it in his delivery flight. Engaging half-impulse, Galdar started back towards the station. Playtime was over. The following post was written by Iceman and Dangelus and read by Dangelus. The turbo lift doors closed with a hiss. Sick bay, Lester ordered. The lift hummed into action and after a short ride he was at his destination. It was his custom to be early, he thought it was proper, even when he wasn't looking forward to a situation. Stepping out into the corridor, Lester felt tense. Exhaling as much emotion as he could, he calmly entered sickbay. Dr. Peterson was already there attending to a crew member. Dr. Peterson finished mending a crew member's broken arm due to an unwanted encounter with a snowbank due to a miscalculation on a bobsled turn. Casey smiled at the crew member as he suggested that it might be advisable to tweak the safety protocols before his next attempt at bobsledding. The crew member thanked the doctor for his great bedside manner and quickly exited sick bay for his duty shift. Dr. Peterson turned around to see Ensign Lester Garris standing in the doorway to sick bay. Casey smiled at the young Ensign. Don't look so worried, my boy. This is just a formality that must be done to satisfy the paper pushers at Starfleet Medical. The Ensign looked a little out of sorts as this was not quite what he had expected from the chief medical officer, as most of the medical personnel he had been exposed to were very formal and not quite as personable as Dr. Peterson. Casey's manner seemed to put Ensign Garris at ease and seemed to reduce his stress level greatly. Thank you, Doctor. How would you like me to proceed? Lester asked. Dr. Peterson motioned for the Ensign to a biobed. We will get this done quickly so you can go about your business, Casey stated as he tapped on his medical tricorder, waving it over Ensign Garris's body. The doctor took some blood samples and made a few medical notes before asking Ensign Garris if there was anything missing from his medical files or anything that he wished to discuss with the doctor. Lester made a curious expression. Doctor, you have been asking me to attend this examination for a week now. Forgive me, but I was expecting it to be somewhat more thorough than this he stated. The doctor looked at the ensign, then replied, This is usually true. If I find any anomalies in your tests or lab results, which I haven't at this point, 
It is also why I have asked you to, if you have anything you wish to discuss medically and find out if anything is missing from your medical records. At this point, your medical records seem complete with no gaps. Is this true, Ensign? Or would you like to add something? You are by no means finished, Ensign. This is just the preliminaries. Nurse Christine will finish your tests and inform me of the results. If there is any anomalies in your tests, my office will inform you. I have found that by doing the initial workups myself often tends to put crew members and officers like yourself at ease and more willing to discuss their medical issues if they have a doctor who is somewhat personable. Don't you agree, Lester? Lester paused in thought before replying. What was Peterson fishing for? I agree with your diagnosis, Doctor. I have no physical ailments that I am aware of as my records will confirm. He knew the doctor would have access to his psychological profile. With a profile like his, medical protocol meant his records would be flagged for review by the ship's counsellor. With this in mind, he thought it best not to challenge the doctor further. The next post was written by Jen and Hawkeye Meds and read by Meds. They're in here. Resistance is futile. Get down! A phaser blast burst through the tumblers behind the bar. A woman and two children ducked down to avoid display of glass. I'm sending them your way, shouted a man to the team of security officers situated at the entrance. As the man began to grapple with another drone, the woman gathered the children and moved cautiously towards the corridor. The towering human was Dennis, the hologram that Joseph worked with to rid the ship of intruders. His image flickered as the drone plunged its snake-like tendrils into his neck. One of the children dashed back to help the hologram. Come back, shouted the woman. Dennis vanished, just as the small boy came to his aid. Now he was the drone's target. It grabbed the boy and injected tubules into the child's yielding flesh as the trill woman attempted to pull the toddler free. An instant later, she was thrown into a wall by a vicious backhand from the drone. Computer, pause program. The Carlin examined the frozen scene before winding his way through the darkened room filled with terrified patrons and cybernetic monsters. Glass crunched under his feet as he moved to the bar and crouched next to the prone figure of Dr. Viola Drett. Before her, the Vulcan boy struggled against the nanite assault on his small body. Joseph passed his hand through the red beam, emanating from the drone's ocular implant, and narrowed his eyes. The chief of security then turned his gaze towards a smoke-filled entry where he could just make out the outline of the individual he was investigating. Computer resumed program at half speed. The chaos around him began to move in slow motion. DeCarlin watched as the small-framed woman staggered to her feet and stepped forward to confront the drone. The smoke in the room was becoming thicker and a small fire spread within the room. Joseph once again turned to look at the entrance. One of these men was lining up on the Borg that Ryla rose to challenge. Computer paused program, resumed playback, quarter speed. Joseph left the hollow image of Dr. Drett and walked alongside the beam that slowly stretched to meet the small of her back. He followed the pulse all the way to its source. Ensign Talon Bowers. Joseph positioned himself behind the security officer to witness the tragedy from his perspective. The low light and smoke obscured his view until the moment the beam struck Ryla. Then the room brightened, and the light of additional phasers as they fiercely sought each other's drones. It was only then Joseph could see the trill from that vantage point. Computer pause program. Now highlight hollow image 6, section 13 and 14. Save image and add to report. Joseph picked his way through the crowd to stand near the young doctor. Computer resumed program, same speed. Her body lurched and slumped, face first to the floor. Pause, said Joseph. 
He grimaced as he stared down at her. After a moment, he walked back to Ensign Barrows and examined the kneeling security officer. Computer, highlight hollow image 7, section 15 and 16, save image and add to report. The highlighted viewpoints of Barrows would be his saving grace. Yet the Carlin knew how devastated the security officer was. The findings would not matter to him. The deed was done. Computer resumed program standard speed. From the entry, Joseph watched as the drone disappeared. A shout rang out behind him. Startled, he turned back to look at Bowers, whose face had turned white with shock. Computer. End and save program. To Callum, investigation 2A. The surrounding vision dissolved into the black and yellow grid of the holodeck, and Joseph pressed his thumb and forefinger to his temple, then took a deep breath. After a few minutes of thought, Joseph left the space station holosuite and decided to head to one of the smaller, quieter restaurants on the station plaza. Now we have a joint post written by Feathers and Hawkeye Meds, and will be read by Hawkeye Meds. Galdar sat in the corner of the lounge, facing a large bowl of grubs. There were some compensations to Starbase life, and a steady supply of decent food was one of them. Now, admittedly, it took some negotiation to arrange a supply line as long as the one he used, but while he may not be a typical Ferengi, he was still a member of that species, and carried a certain amount of the innate ability that such membership implied. Had he cared to, he would have noticed that the lounge was full both with station personnel and crew from a number of the docked and orbiting vessels. He didn't notice, his stomach was more important. Any chance of a seed, mate? A voice to his left asked. Looking up, Galdar saw a lieutenant commander in Operations Yellow with a smile on his face and one eyebrow raised. Uh, feel free, I'll waive the one-slip charge this time. He had found that most species generally liked financial references when dealing with him. It seemed to put them at their ease. Thanks, mate. The man dropped into the seat with an easy grace and lifted his drink to his mouth with the appearance of deep satisfaction. Ah, oh, I needed that. He smiled easily and looked questioningly across the table. Uh, Geldar, sir. Ensign Geldar. So I'm a shuttle pilot on the starbase. The man waved a hand. Ah, oh, go easy on the rank and privilege, Geldar. I'm not on duty here. He paused. Ah, uh, DeCallan. Chief of Security. USS Arabella. Galdar nodded and, the formalities over, went back to contemplating his grubs. With a slight lick of the lips, he lifted a handful to his mouth. He was going to enjoy this. After a while, he looked up again and found his table mate watching him oddly, while waiting for another drink. Strangely, he didn't seem that bothered by the consumption going on in front of him, something that regularly caused Galdar problems with others. Realising he was now being observed, in his turn, DeCallum chose to break the silence. Good, are they? Um, I'd let you have a taste, but I doubt you would enjoy the result, and I don't see much profit in the exchange, sir. He grinned and carried on eating. A Ferengi in Starfleet, I can believe, but one who shared with others would be slightly too much to expect. The Carlin grinned in his turn, and his drink arrived. As Gildar cleared the bowl, he remembered something that had nagged at him earlier. The Arabella? That's the damaged intrepid in dock, isn't it? What happened? He asked. The Borg said the Carlin. Oh, and an asteroid field. <laughs> we had quite a merry time of things for a while. Gordar's eyes widened, so the rumours were more or less true after all. That was a surprise, but a welcome one. It wasn't often that the Starbase rumour mill operated so well. I imagine that there was a bit of fancy flying going on in that encounter, sir, he asked, his eyes starting to light up at the thought. The Carlin looked at him more closely. I'll tell you what, mate. 
give me another one of these beers in a packet of nibbles that don't wriggle and you can tell me how much of a good pilot you are. The following post was written by In Stitches, Jen, and KC. And it's read by KC. So, are you and the lieutenant commander an item? Ryla glanced up at the jade-skinned woman. He's a new friend. Is that trill code for we're dating? Ryla knew Sarah, but she had never spoken to her before that moment and wasn't quite sure how to react to her sarcastic question. Troll code? You know, like a secret code, Sarah winked. The doctor glanced to Maggie and then to the glass of synthahol in her hands. She slowly lifted it to her mouth and took a long sip as she stared at the Orion woman. Ryla returned the container to the table and smiled at the woman. No... I've never been a fan of doublespeak. Deliberate ambiguity is something I try to avoid. So he's not taken. Excellent. Ryla tried not to glower. As far as I know. Oh, don't worry, I'm just messing with you, said Sarah with a friendly smile. After a moment, the bright smile grew dim. Do you remember me? Ryla stared at her for a protracted moment. Unfortunately, I didn't forget anything from that night but it's mostly an emotional blur. I know you were there, replied Ryla after an awkward pause. Sierra nodded. Well, anyway, I was just curious about you and your new friend. I've had plenty of guy friends myself. Of course, some were more beneficial than others, if you know what I mean. Um, right. Friends with benefits. Ryla took another sip of her beverage. That's great. Haha. <laughs> She tried to chuckle, but it sounded uncomfortable. Sierra grinned and lifted an eyebrow. You doing okay there, sugar? Is it me or the synthahol that's a little too strong for you? What? No, no. <laughs> I'm fine, really. <laughs> she laughed again. This time the chuckle was a bit more believable. You're too young to have had plenty of guy friends. 23 is too young? Honey, boys and I have been chasing each other ever since I was 15. I've had plenty of time to make some very interesting friends, who also happen to be very good kissers. 23 is young. Try adding 307 years to that, and factor in all the relationships one would have during those centuries. She fell quiet as the thought of what she lost punctured her mind once more. Ryla took another swallow from of her drink. Aside from the three of them, the afterburner was now completely empty. She had barely noticed the passage of time. I guess that means I'm getting over my fear of the afterburner. Or Maggie is still acting as my crutch. Maggie felt her attention shift and projected a clean laundry smell. I'd love to hear about whatever memory is making you smell so... female. A mysterious smile soon appeared on the trill's face. There was this dashing young Starfleet captain I... I mean, Emil, once new. His type was a rarity in our sector. He was always ripping his uniform tunics. I think that was a part of the act. The ladies loved that about him, and at the time so did she. He was fun, for lack of a better term. Sierra's eyes glistened and her smile grew wide. Ooh, I like this story. Interesting characters, romance, manly egos... It's almost perfect. Go on. Continue. How long were you two an item? One day. One very nice day. Then he was off on his next mission and his next exotic female. 
I've heard stories. One day, that's nothing. I had a boyfriend for a whole four hours before he went off to his next conquest. He was... How can I put this? He was very good at pretending to be sensitive. Sarah began to laugh, as she had the many times before when recounting this particular story and its absurdity. I'm serious. He was quoting Emily Dickinson and Edgar Allan Poe at every turn. He would wonder why the world was so hateful, and he got crying on cue down pat. But a lot of girls go for that kind of thing, and I was no exception. It was a really good show, but I have to admit, but I didn't necessarily like the outcome. So I gave him a little something to remember me by. Maggie looked puzzled. What? Let me guess, said Rylan with a smirk. It wasn't a handshake. <laughs> Maggie blushed and the three women's laughter filled the empty lounge. It felt good to laugh again. I can remember being married a few times. Well, Dret and the previous hosts were, but I can recall everything. Her words were wry and a little wistful in tone. Dredd seemed to prefer the same type of hosts and spouses. Very safe, dependable, and boring. She glanced at Sira. Boring is not my style. I know. I can tell. Sira winked. Listen, I get it. I'm not saying you should leap into anybody's arms right away. But have some fun while you're waiting it out. It's not as if you have to live like you're inside a convent. Sarah followed this with her very exaggerated impression of a Catholic nun, pressing her palms together and focusing her eyes upwards. Perhaps a bit of things was in order. She had come very close to mentioning that having fun would not kill Ryla. Mackie and Ryla laughed again. I'll keep that in mind, said the trill with a hint of sarcasm. She looked out at the stars filling the large aft viewport and watched as the ship approached the starbase. If you don't mind my asking, Sira, how did you end up on the Arabella? I mean, what made you decide to take this job? Well, Sira began, I was looking for a job that would allow me to travel. It didn't really matter what. But my dad has connections in Starfleet, heard about an opening in the lounge, and long story short, the Arabella's got herself a lounge hostess. Ta-da! Sierra struck pose as if she just finished a renowned vaudeville routine and then returned to her normal composure. This place wouldn't be the same without you, said Ryla. Nope. Jokes would be too clean. Mackie's words smelled like currant jelly, lightly scented with Sierra's own scent. And there wouldn't be as many males hanging around, added the trill. Mackie looked thoughtful. Orion pheromones are legendary, but you're half-human. That's an interesting mix. Do you find that you use your scent to attract males? inquired the Fertilian. Sierra was a bit taken aback by Mackie's question. It was not the first time it had come up, but it was also a question that she had avoided often. However, there were a few situations when she felt compelled to answer honestly. The fact that Mackie had knowledge of these things made this one of those compelling times. Well, um, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question. To be honest, I'm not quite sure if that distinct attribute applies in my case. At least, not that I can control, anyway. Sierra knew that her answer was not exactly the most articulate, 
but it seemed more polite than telling the Fertilian to mind her own business. It's not difficult to figure out. Most non-Orion females end up with a headache as a side effect. Though Vulcans and Fertilians are immune. Maggie turned to Ryla. Do you have a headache? No. Well, there's your answer. Maybe. Of course, it could be because of all the help I've been giving you, Ryla. But then again, I stopped about four hours ago. A faint smell of peanut butter came, became apparent. Ryla straightened. Really? Maggie shrugged. Yep. The three continued trading stories until the morning shift entered the lounge. Ryla yawned. <sighs> I think I should turn in now. I enjoyed the visit. Sierra grinned, but she could feel her body being affected by her lack of sleep. She hoped to remain awake at least for the next few minutes to bid the two women a proper farewell. I had fun too. If ever you want to have some drinks and talk, <sighs> you can usually find me here. I'm usually up on the stage or mingling among the common folk. Mackie nodded and stood to leave. Oh, you won't find anyone common here, Sierra. Take my word for it. The next post was written by Jen and Just X and read by Jen. Eric James stood motionlessly as he looked out the viewport into what appeared to be empty space. He could feel her out there. He could feel the pulse of her ship. To physical senses, in the technology of the Federation, there was nothing unusual occurring. Hello, Una, Eric projected through the void, his thoughts laced with the traces of sentiment he was able to feel for her. I didn't expect you so soon. I've missed you, Eric, her thoughts echoed through the connection that he created. Her own feelings were nectarous by comparison. I also have a solution to our problem. A solution? Eric questioned as his hand reached out and touched the window. Perhaps you could share it with me, because I have yet to reach one myself. We can talk when you arrive on my ship. I assume that you can spare a few minutes for your wife. Of course, Una. I have a few meetings to take care of, but I'll be ready for you to transport me soon. Una smiled to herself as she felt Eric withdraw from her mind. She moved from the central command center of her ship and made her way towards the stairs leading to the living facility. Externally, the spherical vessel was only ten meters in diameter, but her people had mastered dimensional displacement technologies, and the inside of her craft was ten times that size. It felt more like home than a warp-capable ship. A smaller external mass allowed for greater speeds and required less power. Thanks to the assistance of her husband, her people's cloaking technologies had been enhanced with phase capabilities. It was like traveling in your own personal pocket in space. Being a smaller craft, Una's ship had very few weapon systems. Defense was handled via stealth features. Her thoughts of Eric were colored with melancholy. Her husband continued to invent reasons why he could not return to her world, and so she determined that her only option was to bring their home to him and remind him of the love that she alone could provide. Una had waited long enough for him to grow past the hurt he felt. He once told her that she had healed that wound by marrying him, and she had once believed him. Una entered the floor containing the open gardens, her family warned her that Eric had only wed her to ensure his freedom, but she knew better. She could sense his affections. Perhaps they were not as strong as what she felt for him, but but they were there, and if given a chance, they would grow in time. Time. Time was the only ingredient their relationship lacked. 
and it seemed to come into play often in Eric's life. Time was never fair. Una hated it, and it seemed to hate she and her husband. With the proper amount of time, she was certain she could fan the flames of affection that he disallowed. Perhaps it would finally consume his heart, and he would forget about his past and think about his future. His future with her. She needed to remind him of the real reason they married, and hold him to the promises he made her. The promises of a life together, and a family. And now we have a post written by Jen, also read by Jen. Where are you going, Pinkskin? The officer ignored the insult and continued pushing his way through the crowded bar, moving away from the shouting Andorian. He found a spot near the Davo table and claimed an unoccupied chair. The angry men had followed and now surrounded him. He continued to ignore them until the leader slammed his fist into the surface of the table. It's easy to be brave from a safe distance, isn't it? Now that we're here to answer your challenge, you're suddenly gutless. The officer finished the mug of ale he was still gripping in his hand and slowly rose from the chair. The fuming freighter pilot stripped off his heavy coat and tossed it aside. His associate stepped forward to hold the security officer. No, I can handle this, said the pilot as he waved them away. Are you sure? The Starfleet officer sneered. A terrible thwack could be heard over the din of the bar as the pilot answered with a left hook that caught the man on the mouth. The pink skin stumbled backwards, but remained on his feet. Bar patrons scattered as the area around the two men suddenly became aware of the disagreement. The pilot raised his fists to cover his body as he waited for a counterattack. He watched as the dazed ensign spat a mouthful of blood onto the deck and wiped the red spittle from his lips with the sleeve of his jacket. He lifted narrowed, fanatical eyes at the pilot, before flashing a crimson-toothed grin at him. The officer suddenly inverted the table and rushed his attacker, catching him around the waist and throwing him to the deck of the Starbase Lounge. A tempest of fists battered the Andorian pilot before he was able to wrestle the officer off of him. He then overpowered the human and held him in a chokehold until the man lost consciousness. When the ensign stopped struggling, the pilot quickly released the insensible officer and left the bar, passing Starbase security on his way out. It wasn't his intent to kill the pinkskin, just to teach him a lesson. Today was Talon Bower's lucky day. Ensign Bowers awoke in the Starbase's central brig with a brutal migraine. He wasn't sure if it was the hangover or the blue fist that had caused it. Maybe both. The light in his small cell stabbed at his eyes. Talon raised a bruised hand to cover his face, then sat up in bed. That minor exertion caused his head to pound with greater intensity. He moaned as the blood pulsed forcefully in his temples. Are you always this stupid, or are you making a special effort today? Asked the brig warden. Who in his right mind picks a fight with drunk Andorians? Talon stood up and walked to the force field. I'm guessing you've reported this to my superior officer. It's regulation, replied the surly Bajoran. It just keeps getting better and better, croaned the ensign. He was already under investigation back on the Arabella, and now Lieutenant Commander DeCollin would have to give up part of his shore leave to bail him out for conduct unbefitting an officer. That was becoming the norm, it seemed. Part of Talon wished the Andorian had killed him. Who was he kidding? That was the reason he picked the fight in the first place. Looks like I'll have to do it myself. What was that? Asked the brig warden. 
Nothing, Chief. Just the ramblings of a dead man. The Bajoran chuckled as Talon returned to his bed and tried to sleep off the rest of his headache. The following post was written by Jen and Hawkeye Meds and read by Meds. Takalan gave a yawn and put the pad into his pack. It had been an eventful day. He completed his investigation, had a bite to eat with an interesting Ferengi, and was about to head back to the Arabella to hand his report to the captain when his combat chirped. Lieutenant Commander DeCollin, report to Brig Level 2. DeCollin looked confused for a moment, then remembered seeing a brawl in the bar on the opposite side of the communal area. Ah, oh, no. Not now, he sighed, and tapped his badge. All right, I'm on my way. Ensign Barrows straightened as the brig warden pointed in his direction. Peering round the corner was an angry-looking Joseph de Talon. Talon watched as the Arabella's chief of security held something out to the Bajoran. The ensign banged his head slowly against the cell wall as the force field was deactivated. The pain in his head would be nothing compared to going back to the Arabella with de Talon. Stand up, ensign. Barrows stopped to attention, even though the rush of blood to his head caused his migraine to intensify. Joseph stepped into the cell and clasped his hands behind his back. Do you know what I've been doing during my shore leave? He whispered harshly. Barrows shook his head and looked down. Look at me! The chief of security glared into the ensign's face until his bloodshot eyes met his own. I've been investigating your damn incident. I've spent my entire shore leave looking after you and now I'm called here to bail you out again. Barrows' eyes darted away for a second before turning a scowl back at his superior. Talon flinched as Joseph put his hand onto his shoulder. He was expecting a blow. What am I going to do with you, Mr. Bears? Look, sit down. He pressed on Talon's shoulder and the ensign sat on the bed. Joseph stared down at him for a second before deciding to sit next to him. I told you to make an appointment with Councillor Margon after the fight you started with Ensign Porter in the turbo lift. You haven't seen him, have you? You need to get this worked out or you're going to be discharged. I can't have an unstable officer in my department. I won't put up with it. And neither will the captain. I'm not dependable. You may as well discharge me, sir. Joseph looked about the cell and sighed. <sighs> Everyone has moments, son. You're not the first Starfleet officer to be in this position. Talon shook his head. It's my fault, sir, that she died. The entire ship will eventually know it. I can't face them. I can't face her. Joseph cocked his head to one side and stood up. They will find out the truth soon enough. But you have to face that truth yourself. Now, come on. It's time we went home. I want you to make that appointment with Councillor Margon, and that's an order. Talon slowly nodded. Come on, son. Time to go. The next post was written by Rico and read by Rico. Oh, that's so amazing. Lieutenant Zrem said as his hand rested gently on Marie Barton's rather good-sized belly. He felt another good kick under his blue hand as he smiled wide at the woman laying next to him. He or she seems to be a restless one sometimes. This has been going on for a little while now. Maybe all the excitement today got them worked up, the young blonde engineer said as she took her hand and placed it over Zrem's, guiding him across her very pregnant body. I know we stayed longer than you wanted at the ceremony, but I I know we both felt it was important. You sure the doc says everything is okay with you and the baby? Zrem said, trying to keep his emotions in check and pulling on Vulcan techniques he had studied for many years, 
but always found difficult to master to any real degree. He wished at times for his friend Severil's ability and control. Yes, now stop being a mother and Dorian and just enjoy the life we made together. With everything the ship and crew has gone through lately, this life means so much to everyone, I think. Marie said as she brushed her lips against Rem's. I know, call me paranoid if you want, but this child will be unique in more ways than one, and we, we still don't know all the ramifications of a half-Endorian, half-human being. He told her, again trying to sound more calming than he felt. Stop analyzing and just enjoy it, Chifras. Did you talk to the captain about our shore leave on August 2? She asked the man she cared for more than anything in the universe. Yes, it's all set. We leave tomorrow. One week all to ourselves in the forest of August 2. I hear it's very beautiful and peaceful. Sounds perfect. I still have a couple of months to go, so there should be no issues with the pregnancy. All the other women in engineering with children told me to enjoy this time. Because they said after the baby comes, they said... We won't get rest again until he go off to Starfleet or whatever they decide to study. She said as she curled up next to the lanky Andorian. Oh, I'm sure Starfleet's finest can handle a little baby, especially after everything that's happened. I think if we can handle the Borg, we can handle just about anything. Zerem said confidently as he wrapped his arms around Marie, making her feel warm, safe, and secure. For our next post, it was written by Feathers and read by Dangelus. At the command console at the back of the Starbase Shuttle Bay control room, Galdar cleared his station and looked thoughtfully at the blank screen. Below and in front of him, through the wide panoramic windows overlooking the bay, numerous Starfleet shuttlecraft and runabouts sat at rest on the deck with a couple of maintenance personnel moving between them. A Tellarite shuttle sat in the middle of the small ships looking odd and out of place. Things had been quiet for the last half an hour, with little traffic being processed through the bay and most of the assigned repairs completed. Computer, display crew roster, USS Arabella, he commanded. Silently, the screen filled with names that began to roll upward as the list grew beyond the constraints of the display. Galdar had the computer do most things silently when working on his own, being easily distracted by the bleeps and chirps many other species seemed to prefer. He was sure it breached some sort of regulation, but wasn't going to stress over much at the thought. As the names moved, Galdar read quickly, noting the spread of ranks and department dispositions. It was a fairly balanced crew on the whole, but he couldn't help but note the holes. Holes left by the recent encounter with Borg, he assumed. Holes that needed filling. He hadn't learnt an awful lot from his mealtime conversation with the human lieutenant commander, but he'd learnt that much. The pressure doors from the bay gantry swished open and the last two crewmen of the shift entered. All done, sir, Matthews nodded at the broad windows. The Type 8 can go back into rotation and we've sorted the manifold problem on the 9. Galdor looked up. Is it ready for a test flight? Hi, sir. She's ready to go whenever you like. Okay, thanks. Human politeness on Ferengi lips wasn't unheard of, but was still uncommon enough that Galdar himself was sometimes caught out by his own speech. He nodded at the door and smiled. Matthews and DeVoe grinned in turn and headed out to change. Returning to the screen, Galdar identified a name, calling up further details. 
He shook his head and summoned another, then another. The name of the Callan scrolled past and he lifted his hand for a moment before letting it fall on the desk again. A warning appeared at the periphery of the display that pulled Galda back from the Arabella and his thoughts. Not unusual during shift, the opening of the secure storage bay doors was very unusual when the shuttle bay itself was empty and those particular doors were sealed. Walking to the canted window, Galdar looked down to the floor below but could see nothing. This wasn't wholly surprising since secure storage was situated directly beneath the control room. Returning to his station, he paused before locking down the console and heading for the pressure doors and the gantry. He felt a little foolish pausing at the weapons locker to retrieve a hand phaser, but as the only officer in the bay, the extra security seemed sensible. Shuttle Bay 4 was a Starfleet access-only area of the station, but since they'd tracked that Tellarite shuttle in earlier in the day, he wasn't taking chances. His footsteps on the gantry echoed round the space with multiple distortions caused by different return paths. He often wondered if he could arrange the ships in such a way to equally space the return sounds, but had never bothered to try the maths. Life may be dull, but he hadn't reached that stage of boredom yet. At the bottom of the steps, he paused and examined the secure storage bay doors. They were clearly open, though. He couldn't detect any movement. In the middle of unholstering the phaser, he jumped when his combadge chirped. Hey, Galdar, what's up? Looking up, he saw his relief, Lieutenant Andrews, in the control room. The look on his face at the sight of the armed Ferengi said a lot. Galda tapped his badge. Nothing much, I hope, Nick. The secure locker door's open down here, so I'm checking it over. He saw Andrews nod and began to walk toward the open door, bolder now that someone else was in the bay. No one was immediately visible, but caution was still required. Pausing, he turned slowly, scanning the bay and listening carefully. There weren't many places to hide without being seen from control, but it was possible. After a good 30 seconds of silence, however, he let out a breath and relaxed. He'd have bet Latinum on his ability to hear anyone alive in the immediate area. Galda stowed the phaser at his hip and turned to reseal the security doors. He keyed the familiar sequence quickly, then headed back to the ladder and the control booth. He could see Andrews looking at him questioningly as he headed for the doors. Nothing there, sir, he said when he got into the room and returned the phaser to its place. I don't know what happened, but I've sealed it up again and I'll log it before I go. Andrews nodded and looked thoughtful. Not had that problem in here before, but I'll get a crew in and give it a look over. Sitting at the controls once again, Galda unlocked his station and initiated the handover procedure, logging the resealed storage locker door as he did so. Andrews stood beside him until he finished, at which point he changed places and the lieutenant took control of the bay. Formalities complete, Galda raised his hand in farewell and headed for the door to his quarters. He had another hollow session booked in an hour's time, and now he had a very good idea of what he wanted to do with it. The following post was written by Jen and read by Jen. Ryla's pounding heart slowed gradually, as did her breathing. It was only a dream. After a moment of staring at the ceiling, she rolled her head to the left and read the chronometer. Due to the late night she spent in the lounge, the young doctor had slept for most of the day. She returned her eyes back to the ceiling and lay there in silence, trying to forget the recurring nightmare. The dream always involved Naval, and it ended the same way each time she dreamt it. She finally willed herself out of the bed and slowly moved to the sonic shower. 
Ryla had much to do before her first punching lesson began, like figuring out what to wear. She hadn't thought to ask Katan when he agreed to teach her the night before. The sound of the shower could be heard from the central living space as she prepared herself for what was left of the day. An hour later, she donned her bathrobe and entered the area where her personal computer resided. She plopped herself into the chair and accessed the database to search for the proper martial arts uniform. Most of them were rather boring, and, as she had mentioned the night before, she didn't like boring. A thousand files later, the trill narrowed the search to three different styles. After two more hours of serious contemplation, she replicated three uniforms and tried each one on. By then, it was time to go. The next post was written by Jen and Wraith1701 and read by Jen. Katan stood in the center of the holodeck, wearing loose-fitting pants and a simple charcoal gray pullover clinched at the waist by a black cloth belt. A series of bright yellow grid lines stretched out above and below him, carving the room's blackness into a series of foreshortened squares. Even after all of his years of service, Katan was still impressed by the uniformity of Starfleet technology. Be they on a starship or a starbase, all Federation holodecks appeared the same while in standby mode. He just hoped that his training programs had been transferred from the Arabella without any glitches. He glanced to his chronometer. 16.55. Five minutes until his appointment with Ryla. Computer, activate training program Katan 06, level 1. The black and yellow gridded emptiness was instantly replaced by a dimly lit metallic cavern. Torches mounted on a ring of iron pillars surrounded him, casting his features in stark relief and reflected dimly from the metallic ceiling arching overhead. Beyond the ring of light cast by the torches, the cavern's detail gradually faded and were eventually swallowed by shadow. From the surrounding darkness, bestial hounds of hunger ripped apart the silence. As the wails and roars grew closer, Catan's fists clenched. A smile of anticipation crossed his face, then slowly melted into a scowl. This won't do. Might be a bit much for a beginner. As the sounds of danger drew nearer, Catan sighed in resignation. Computer, in program. Initiate training program Catan 8, level 1. The bleak chamber vanished and was immediately replaced by a warmly lit training dojo. Bamboo slat blinds hung over the windows, softening the rays of the setting sun. Hanging on one of the walls were a series of archaic bladed weapons, Klingon batleths, katanas, broadswords from Earth, and a Vulcan lirpa. Katan crossed to the squat, earthenware incense sensor standing in the center of the room, leaving faint footprints in the floor's padded matting. He closed his eyes and deeply inhaled the soothing mix of Klingon and Asian incense burning in the censer's coals. Behind him, one of the dojo's plain walls morphed into the familiar lines of the holodeck arch. His eyes slowly opened as he heard the doorway hush open. Welcome, Ryla. You're right on time. Being on time was a rarity for the doctor. As Katan turned to face her, she asked, Should I bow or something? She stood in the entry, outfitted in a standard Aikido uniform, which consisted of a black skirt and a white quilted jacket. Ryla noticed the smile that came over Katan's face and wondered if she had chosen the wrong uniform. The trill glanced down at her attire and then back to her instructor. Oh, I wasn't sure what to wear. I, I narrowed it down to three uniform styles. 
Kuksulhapkido, Susman, and Akido. They all had very interesting features, but I decided to go with this one because I liked the flowy skirt. Should I have worn a mokbaragi instead? What you are wearing is fine, Katan replied. The important thing is that your uniform not encumber your movement. Katan tilted his head quizzically, one hand slowly stroking his chin. It is actually an interesting choice of attire. Since you are a doctor, Akito might be the appropriate martial art for you to study. Ryla gave him a skeptical look. Since I'm a doctor, what do you mean? Katan smiled, happy to be on familiar ground. Many warriors consider Akito to be one of the most ethical martial arts. Instead of being focused on inflicting damage, Akito aims at blending with an incoming attack, and given the opportunity to put an end to it without unnecessarily injuring the attacker. Well, it almost seems compatible with your Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. Kitan smoothly sank to the floor to sit cross-legged on the matting and gestured for Ryla to do the same. Before we go any further, I need to know what you would like me to teach you. Does Akito sound like the right fit? Are you wanting to learn to inflict the most damage on an attacker? Or are you concerned with avoiding or redirecting an attack? Ryla slipped off her shoes as she entered the dojo and lowered herself onto the mat across from the chief tactical officer. She considered Katan's question as her eyes studied the beautiful scene that her instructor created. The warm glow of the afternoon sun, the sweet scent of falling cherry blossoms, and the distant trumpet of swans were all a very nice touch. An artist's touch. She smiled inwardly at the simplicity and beauty of his handiwork before turning her gaze back to Katan. I only put this on because I thought it looked nice. She felt silly admitting that fact, but it was the truth, plain and simple. And as long as they were being honest, she decided to be upfront in everything. The slight smile dissolved into a face that featured a furrowing brow. She looked away as she gestured to her midsection. I have this spot inside me that aches. I think it's anger, but it's hard to pin a label on it. I thought hitting something might spin that energy. Aside from that, I don't want to be at anyone or anything's mercy ever again. She drew a sharp breath and exhaled slowly, releasing the welling anxiety through the heat of her breath. She moved her gaze from the mat to meet his eyes. Because you were raised a Klingon, I assumed that you would be skilled in Montbara. But if you believe I'm better suited for Aikido, I trust your judgment and experience. Katan smiled. The art one studies says a lot about what lies in their soul, and I don't know you well enough to make that call for you. He gazed at the doctor. But I would like to, he added with a twinkle in his eyes. With those words, Ryla's expression softened, and a small smile, framed by dimples, appeared. Katan stood. I would be honored to teach you Mokbura. It is an elegant art, and as much a meditation tool as a means of self-defense. Its practice can soothe a tumultuous spirit, and it has the added advantage of laying the groundwork for successful use of Klingon-edged weapons like the Batleth. It will take time and patience, but if you are willing, I promise to help you discover your ability to protect yourself, either armed or unarmed. Ryla cocked her head to one side as she glanced up at him. Protecting myself would be a good thing. Again, she thought of Commander Severil's son. If she had had the ability to defend him that day, Naval would not have been taken by the Borg. Ryla got to her feet and smoothed her jacket. Please, teach me what you know of Mokbara Katan. I 
should not have been so informal, she thought. It was the first time she had called him anything other than Commander. But he'd called me Ryla, didn't he? She bowed at the waist and smiled. When do the punching lessons begin? All right, that's all the posts. Phew! That's a lot. We, we made it. We did. And the dilithium crystal chamber is still intact, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that is it for uh, the stories so far. Um, we have quite a few, as you heard, and we have quite a few to go. We're slightly behind, actually, with readings, just because you guys are so fantastic at uh, posting so many. And we are limited on the amount of time we can actually post on this uh, ready room. So, uh, what do you guys think so far of the story? Just briefly, since we can't really talk that much, since the readings took up so much time. Well, I'm, I'm raising my glass right now and saying kudos to everybody. Great job at writing. Ditto. Well, that was simple. <laughs> you, you said to keep it short. <laughs> no, every, everyone is doing a great job. We really appreciate you. Uh, we actually have four new writers, um, mm-hmm. and they've all done really great job at uh, integrating themselves into our not only our story, but just the style of writing and um, everything about the RPG. And which goes, you know, it goes to prove that anyone can join, and you can integrate yourself easily into our our story. Yeah, I like the idea of the fact that uh, I like what Just X has done by creating some interviews and um, just kind of getting a feel for where the main characters of the crew are at. And I also like the fact that we're docked at the Starbase, so we're getting that interaction in a different setting mm-hmm. with the di- introducing the different characters. And this just it's it's great. It's really fun. It's the story is uh, deepening, and there's a there's a um, I don't know just a, a newness to it, and a freshness to it that we haven't had before. And I like that. Yeah, Which is I agree. Fun. Yeah, and the I like the meetings because even though some of the officers are um, senior staff, it's still kind of like a a lower decks episode, I guess. They talk about some of their their um, subordinates in the meetings and some of the issues they're having. And my plan is to talk about it in another post afterwards. You know, kind of like the lower decks episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation mm-hmm. when all the the um, Subordinates were getting together and complaining about their, yeah, right, you know, right, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be very cool. So, yeah, I agree. Nice. Well, uh, keep up the great job, everybody, and um, we will continue with the story so far in our next podcast. Command codes verified. Activating final thoughts. All right, so uh, here are our final thoughts. Uh, I think we have a few things to discuss, right? Yeah. Um, some of the people, some people are having um, trouble keeping up because of the extremely long posts that some people are making, and I think that they are warranted in some cases. But in you know when there's a joint post between two or more people, it kind of gets a little long. But um, in other instances, when it's just one person going on, you know, describing a scene that maybe isn't um, pivotal to the story, consider breaking that into two posts so that it um, is easier for people to get the gist of what's going on quickly. And when, when, we say, when we say two posts, we mean post one day and then post another. Yes, right. So post them back to back. I mean, because we you know, still have that rule where you can only post once a day. Yeah. So. Uh, and also, I mean, and like Jen said, you know, if, if it's a pivotal scene and it has to go long, which yeah, is we, fine, um, but you might want to see if you can cliffhanger it somehow and, you know, stop it at a point that would make people want to come back the next day to read the other half. Well, like, like the commercial breaks. Yeah. 
you know. So, yeah, that doesn't necessarily need to be confined to one long post. Because, uh, I mean, I am one of those people who have a hard time reading the really long post because I have a very short amount of time um, reading the RPG. Well, I, I, I kind of like it when uh, – see, I have it set up, and maybe people don't know they can do this, but I have it set up so it comes to my email. Mm-hmm. So throughout the day when I check my email, if the, if the post isn't too long, I'll just read it right then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I'll go back and cruise through the through the the thread on the forum. But uh, the longer it is, the less likely I'm gonna I'm gonna actually read every word. If it's real long, sometimes I just skim through it. I, I have a confession to make. Yeah, which is, is unfortunate, you know, because right. you want to enjoy it. You just the time wise is just so difficult to, yeah. you know, to take that time to read. And it's ex- all Sesame Street's fault, you know, because they <laughs> conditioned, they conditioned and normally, us. Honestly, the really long ones are really complicated because they're so yes, well written. They are, yeah, yeah. You know, they're just they're very detailed and they're very they're very good posts. They're just you have you can't just skim them. You have right. to really read the words and you know the story that's going on. Yeah. And we've we we definitely this season we've had a lot more writing going on. So that's that's also makes it a little if that's exciting and good and we should keep it up. But it also makes it harder to keep up with. Yeah. So, um, so just keep that in mind when you're writing. If you can, if you can pare down your 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 you know your posts, that would be great. Um, but you know we're not we're not banning long posts. If you have no. a great long post, then go for it and do it. Well, next uh, season we're calling it Twitter, and we're just going to do like <laughs> 140 you know, characters. That's, that's all post. you can do for each post, and then we'll just keep the story going that way. All right. So, uh, do we have anything else for our final thoughts? Keep up the good work. Yeah, I mean, everyone's doing a great job. Oh, I do want to mention that I may be absent for the next um, three to four podcasts. You're a uh, busy guy. Yeah, I'm just uh, – life has gotten crazy and hectic, and unfortunately, I, I have to step back. Um, I actually may – I was thinking I may actually join you guys for your podcast. I just won't be able to edit them. Right. So, you know, I may be around. I may not be around, but um, I'm sure uh, Rick and Jen will – Take good care, you guys. We'll step up to Batman. Keep the story going. Wait a minute. Did I just say Batman? I'm sorry. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. That was totally a slip. I yeah, right. You were planning that from the beginning. We both start off with Fuck. All right. Well, one more thing before we leave. Rick did this wonderful song. Dedicated to uh, what are you laughing for? Oh, I'm just laughing. <laughs> he did this great oh, song dedicated to our um, our 50th Ready Room podcast. So it's a, it's a tribute. It's a call, a shout out to all of the wonderful writers and creative minds behind this wonderful RPG game. Yes. So let's take a listen to that. Another guy 
So that was Rick's tribute to our RPG role-playing game. That was an awesome job, Rick. Yeah, well done, as always. You, you, know, you, so can't, go, you can't go wrong with the Rolling Stones. I mean, that's true. That is true. That is true. That's that's probably one of my favorite songs you've done so far. <laughs> you are funny. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think we're going to finish this uh, special 50th of The Ready Room. So this is Kenny. This is Jen. And this is Rick. Hailing Hailing Frequencies Closed. Hi, guys. This is Dan, Dangelus on the forums. I just wanted to send my congratulations to you. You've done 50 shows of The Ready Room. It's unbelievable. Each week it gets better and better as well, as do the seasons. Um, I'd like to thank you guys for letting me take part this season. And I'd like to congratulate the writers as well, who are doing an amazing job. You guys have got such amazing talent. I wish I was half as good a writer as you guys. 
hopefully that will come with time and practice. And thanks for allowing me to help out with the readings for the show. This is something I've never done before. I've never really um, recorded my voice for any particular purpose before. And I was a bit nervous at first of doing it, but um, I've had some nice comments uh, about my voice and the way I read and everything. So that's great. It's given me a lot of um, encouragement. So I'd like to thank everybody who's, who's given me those nice comments. So here's to another 50 editions of The Ready Room. Take care, guys. Hi, this is Mebs from Waffle Aunt, and I'm just here to say happy 50th birthday to the Ready Room. Wow, 50 episodes, and I'm proud to say that I've been involved since day one. For me, the Ready Room is more than a microcast. It's a chance to be even more absorbed into this wonderful RPG of ours. Thanks obviously goes to Rico for allowing this microcast and the RPG to float along on his treks in sci-fi server. But there are three people, three important people, who need to be not only thanked, not only to be slapped on the back, but possibly even have their feet massaged into pure ecstasy. And those three people are Kenny, whose editing skills and organisation are second to none. To Jen, whose pure enthusiasm and direction make the RPG just flow so smoothly. And to the new boy on the block, to Mr Rick Moyer, whose music and pure enthusiasm and laughter at the co-hosting eject the podcast into, well, the stratosphere. I think we all know how tiring and sometimes headbanging making this ready room can be. And obviously it all comes out of your spare time. Well, for me, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Happy birthday, and here's to the next 50. The ready room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network.